From WHQR Public Media in Wilmington, North Carolina, this is Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. From time to time, the city of Wilmington sees one of its own land on a national stage. One notable example, Chef Keith Rhodes of Catch Seafood Restaurant competed on Bravo's Top Chef. American Idol has picked out at least two Wilmington-based singers. And more recently, another of the Port City's local musicians enjoyed a stint on national television. Only after pressure from family members did Carlos Rising agree to audition for NBC's singing competition, The Voice. He considered himself a songwriter and musician first, vocalist second. And The Voice? Well, the title. If you've never seen the show, contestants audition for a panel of four music superstars who are the judges and team captains. The performer begins the audition facing the judges' backs. If any one of the stars turns their chair around during the audition, the contestant lands a spot on a team. If two or more judges have turned their chairs, the contestant has a choice. Which star's team will he join? Who will coach him throughout the competition? In the case of Wilmington resident Carlos Rising, yes, that's his real name, Two different celebrities offered him a spot on their team during a show that aired in March of 2023. Let's hear a little bit of that audition. Blake Shelton just turned his chair around. Sounds like it would do really well with R&B. You kind of got like this Jamiroquai vibe yeah, to your tone. Big time. Well, I like Jamiroquai. It's really awesome. So I'm glad that you're on the show. Welcome to The Voice, man. Hi, Carlos. So it took me a minute to turn around, and I'll be honest with you, I love that song so much. It was really beautiful, and I kept waiting for you to climb. I kept waiting for a little bit more dynamics. I think that you have that in you, and that's why at the last second I was like, this is like my job to like find that in the artists I'm working with and like really push them to grow. So I hit my button because I thought that you have what it takes to be on this show. Thank you. That's Kelly That's what Clarkson. Gets me excited. Somebody that I've never heard anything like before. I'd be damn proud to have you on my last team on the board. Thank you. Thank you. And that's Wilmington musician Carlos Rising on NBC's The Voice. He joins me now. Carlos Rising, welcome to Coastline. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So Kelly Clarkson, Blake Shelton, both wanted you on their team. You chose Blake. Why? That's a good question. So when you're on that stage, and first of all, just hearing it back just now, 
I still get so nervous listening to it in I front of other people. I could see you in it. <laughs> I could see you reliving it. Yeah. Yeah. I would, it, it's one of those things where the moment goes by so fast, you don't really know what's going on. And by the time that you try to kind of put the pieces together about what's happening in front of you, you then have to make a choice. And I just went with my gut, honestly. Um, I knew that he had been the longest tenured coach. It was also going to be his last season. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity to be on his team, the last team that he would ever have. And uh, he said that I had a one of a kind voice. And uh, something else he said, uh, which wasn't in the clip that you played, was that he was once a kid with a guitar too, writing songs and traveling around the United States, singing songs and and bars and places where, you know, there are two or three people in the audience. And that really resonated with me. And so I really just felt that connection and I just said, let's just go for it. Let's let's see what I got to lose. And that's nothing. So <laughs> so I picked uh, Blake, and uh, it was a great choice. Tell us a little bit about your music. How did you start playing? Why did you become a musician in the first place? Yeah, um, my father was a pastor. And if you all know what it's like to be a pastor's kid, it essentially means uh, you do whatever – is asked of you, uh, even if you're not necessarily qualified in that moment to do it. And uh, because we always grew up in small church, oftentimes there was a need, you know, for uh, the music at church. And so um, I knew that I wanted to play the bass because I saw School of Rock uh, back when I was in middle school. And I thought, wow, bass is really cool. I I think I could really dig that. And so what my dad did was he had me go sit next to the bass player on Sunday mornings just to watch his hands, just to see what he was doing. And I would just copy. I would just mimic. I didn't really know what I was playing, but I was essentially just seeing the outline of what I should be playing. And then that developed into this passion of me understanding music, um, picking up things along the way. Eventually, I picked up the guitar because I, you know, at 13 years old, I realized I wanted a girlfriend and girlfriend, <laughs> girls don't really go for the guitar or for the bass players so uh, I was like let me try guitar and that seemed to do the trick for me Um, (laughs) but then ever since then um, and my parents were very musical as far as their appreciation for listening to all different types of music both of them were yes and so um, my mother is uh, from the Dominican Republic and my dad is from Wilmington North Carolina actually and uh, so we grew up listening to a plethora of genres and styles everything from Motown to uh, classical music to jazz and um, even Dixie Chicks, Shania Twain, stuff like that. And I, I think what really resonated with me with those artists is their songwriting and their songs and how they impacted me. And I knew from a, you know, after I kind of got the music thing, you know, under my fingers, I, I knew that there was an extension of myself that wasn't yet being um, taken advantage of. And I think I found that with songwriting. And so from, you know, 13, 14 years old, I've just been writing songs in my bedroom and with the goal to eventually share these songs with the world. And then it came time, you know, all these years later for me to audition. And you said in your intro that I was kind of pressured by my my wife and my father and by extension, the rest of my family to kind of do this. Uh, but in my heart, I felt like I was just a songwriter and a musician. Didn't really feel like I had the voice to qualify for something like this to where you are recognized just by your voice. It doesn't matter what you look like or what you do for a living because, you know, there's teachers, nurses, military, um, all all people from different walks of life and different experiences who come on the show. And so it's all about their voice. And I didn't think I was qualified enough, but 
uh, luckily I was proved wrong and it really showed me a glimpse of what other people see in me. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of my journey throughout and in a nutshell of what music is to me and why I'm here today. Now, part of this exploration today is for the creatives out there, whether they're musicians or visual artists or dancers or actors or whatever they are. Because I, I think there's a myth that once you pass a certain threshold, whatever that threshold is, you're done. You've arrived. Like, you are now dubbed the professional mm-hmm. musician. You no longer have to ever question it or experience self-doubt or worry again. It's The struggle is over. Mm-hmm. Did that happen for you? after? <laughs> <laughs> well... I, I can tell you that the myths are are for sure myths. Um, it's one of those things where I'm very grateful for the opportunity that I had because not a lot of people get it. And uh, about 80,000 people a year try out for the show. And only 40 people actually make it on the show. And if you do the math, I'm not really good at math, but you're in the point zero zero percentage of people who actually make the show. And I realize it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity I had. But I also knew that this was not going to be the apex of my musical journey. If anything, it was just going to be the springboard of which I would launch myself into doing stuff that I really love. And I had no more excuses. I had uh, a once in a lifetime opportunity on a national stage in front of millions of people and also got to have one-on-one coaching experience with people who have been doing this for years on a very successful level. And I knew that if I were to just wait and see what happens – it wouldn't necessarily translate into success or even translate into me feeling um, fulfilled in my musical journey. And so um, I can tell you, after my stint on The Voice, uh, I came back to Wilmington, did some gigs, some. I I sold out shows. Others, I played for five people. Um, it, It doesn't stop. But I know that there is often a trajectory of what you do follow. And I believe as long as you don't give up and as long as you stay true to who you are, you be authentic, put out good content as far as not content like social media, but put out, you know, stuff that's authentic to you and that is of good quality. The trajectory is almost like when you see like a, um, you know, the quarterly earnings for a business, you see up and down, up and down, up and down. But the overall view is a trending upwards sort of motion. And so I believe that uh, creatively speaking, that a lot of us creatives need to see it like that. We're going to have valleys, we'll have mountaintops, uh, but overall we need to keep going towards what we're going for. But you're right, it doesn't stop, and success is just your definition of what it means in the moment. Um, and I believe that if you ever truly find that you are done, that this is it, then you may actually just be done in general. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Then you have much bigger problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at least that's that's my take on it. I know that I'm, I don't necessarily speak for everybody, but I only speak for myself, and that's how I see it. And Carlos Rising, that continuing upward trajectory. You're listening to Coastline. Still ahead, we'll find out what ultimately happened for Carlos on The Voice. And we'll also explore how it's changed his thinking about not only his musical talent, but also his career. We'll be back after this short break. Stay with us. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline.
are listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. Carlos Rising is a musician, songwriter, and singer. In fact, before his time on NBC's national singing competition, The Voice, he would have described himself as musician and songwriter first, singer or vocalist second. But his experience on that show not only affirmed his musical talent, including his voice, the show taught him a great deal about what it means to make a living with that talent. He's sharing that journey with us today. We'll also hear some cuts from his new EP, It's Just a Phase. But first... Let's get back to your experience on The Voice. Now, I understand that you've signed an NDA covering parts of the process for Mm -hmm. The Voice. What can you tell us about before you wind up on the show for that first audition, there were were weeks that you were out in L.A. preparing and quarantining because of COVID? Yeah. um, So the whole process... As far as from me submitting an audition to actually going out to L.A. was about a year. Um, And they do it a a couple seasons beforehand as far as when they're casting for the next season. And uh, you kind of send off your audition and anybody can audition. There's no – I think the only age restriction is you have to be over 13 years old. But besides that, anybody can audition. And once you do that, you just wait and to see if they email you back. And I sent off my tape and I said, okay. And about nine months passed and I didn't hear a thing. And I said, surely. <laughs> At what point did you write it off? Like how long did like it by, take? Maybe by month two, I was like, okay, well, surely they would have gotten back to me now. They got a lot of stuff, you know, rolling out, schedules, they get deadlines they got to meet. Surely I didn't make the cut if I didn't hear anything back. So I didn't put too much stock in it. And eventually, um, I was actually in Europe with my wife. My wife is from Germany, and we were visiting family. And I got an email saying, hey, we would like to um, for you to come out to L.A. to audition for The Voice. And um, I was like, you got to be kidding me. I still didn't believe it <laughs> because, you know, I, I, you just kind of know certain things about how um, at any moment, like, Plans can change or things can happen. So I was just like, until I see a plane ticket in my inbox, I, I'm not going to get too excited. And lo and behold, um, like a week later, you know, here comes like the applications and the flight information, your hotel information, all this kind of stuff. And because this is still kind of in a COVID conscientious time, especially with uh, out in L.A., if somebody gets COVID, like all of production is delayed. It could be weeks um, so they're very conscientious about it now or shuts then. down the whole yeah. schmear. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, they got studio deadlines and network deadlines they have to meet. And so, you know, they we were out there before I even auditioned for about five weeks. Um, and when you say we, did your wife come with you? No. So that's another thing, too, is that I had to leave my wife here in Wilmington and no one was allowed to bring anybody unless you were a minor and you had to bring a, a guardian. Um, but for the most part, everybody got their own hotel room. Uh, we were able to, uh, you know, meet up like in the hotel lobby and stuff like that, uh, to get to know one another. But for the most of the time we had COVID tests every day, we were trapped inside of our rooms. And I remember, you know, I practiced the song a million times and, um, I remember just feeling like, okay, I'm not getting bored with the song, but I feel like, okay, I, 
I could practice this a thousand more times and it's still going to be where it is. Why did you choose an Eric Clapton song? Yeah, um, that goes back to my influence of my parents. Change the World was, at least from my memory, the first song I ever remember hearing. And it came out, I think it came out the year I was born, um, in 94. Uh, If not, it came out the year after. But I remember my parents, um, back then, they would release singles on CDs for some reason, but just the single on repeat. And so I remember that um, they would put in the CD of Change the World, and it would just replay over and over again, uh, whether we were going to church or, or going to school, whatever it was playing. And uh, it was one of the first songs I ever learned on guitar. I love the combination of R&B influences uh, because Babyface, I think, wrote the song. Um, the blues aspect of it, and I was a guitar player, so I love that. Um, just everything about it, the harmonic structure, the chords, it's such a f- fun song to play. And I knew that if I wanted to go into a situation where I was going to be very nervous and uncomfortable, I needed to have a song that was so comfortable for me that I could go on autopilot if I needed to, uh, to either enjoy the moment or focus on other things, you know, because you had a thousand things going on at one time. Uh, So I chose that. And um, I'm glad that that's now like itched in my history uh, because that song does mean a lot to me. And uh, I still play it and I I don't get tired of it. I think it's an amazing song. And one of my favorites. So did anybody coach you before you actually showed up to do your audition for the show? Yeah, they um, the, the voice is great because they truly believe in their uh, contestants um, and they want to set you up for success. A lot of these other shows, say like American Idol, they don't care if you get embarrassed or America's Got Talent. That's why sometimes they show the bad auditions because it makes for good TV. Um, do they still do that? I that, think that, yeah. That I, so... I don't know if American Idol does anymore, but I remember that was a big thing, yeah. you know, for 15 years, it seemed like, where, you know, someone would go viral uh, because of their bad audition. I, America's Got Talent for sure does it. Yeah, uh, entertainment because... at somebody's expense who isn't even. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just a, that's punching yeah. down. And anyway. so. <laughs> <laughs> Off the soapbox. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it was such a cool experience to see a group of um, producers um, executives, hair, makeup, wardrobe people come around you to set you up to present your best self. And so we not only got coaching on um, how to perform, you know, we, we would get in an empty room and just kind of work out the motions of what we were going to do if you had not necessarily choreography, but like where to look as far as like where the camera's going to be, where the coach is going to be. Um, make sure to smile, make sure to, you know, look like you're having fun, don't look like you're scared. Um, and so we definitely got a lot of that. Um, and it was something different every day, whether we were going to a meeting that uh, helped us with campaigning for ourselves and marketing ourselves, or when it came to actually you know, performing the song, they took really good care of us. And so you had no reason to feel unequipped by the time you get there. And plus the music director, uh, you rehearsed the song with him, and he is amazing. His name is Paul, and he, uh, he's he been there since the inception of the show. And he takes such um, intentional time with you. It's not that, like they're on a schedule. Because, I mean, even though they are, they have tons of people they have to, you know, work these songs out with. Can he, you give us an example of a specific direction that he might have given you with that, that Eric Clapton song, yeah, Change my, the World? Yeah, my biggest Achilles heel when it comes to singing is breathing, which is, like, essential for just tone, support, all this kind of stuff. 
not passing out on stage. Like you got to have oxygen in your body. And he could tell just a couple seconds into the song, he stops the band and says, hey, you got to breathe. And he's also a very gifted vocalist. And so he would have me sing a line and then he would have me breathe in and then sing a line again. And automatically you could just tell the difference. And he would also, when it came to like some of the high notes that I was going to hit, he was like, make sure that when you're hitting the high notes, you're, you're not undershooting it and make sure that you already have breath in your body from the last line that you sang. That way, when you have to take a quick breath in, because there's not a lot of time there, you already have like the tank half full and you're not like running on fumes or reserves. And now I, I do that every time I sing any song. I'm like, I got to learn how to breathe. I got to learn how to, you know, sometimes I also give uh, lessons uh, to some uh, younger musicians and one of those is a voice lesson and that's like the thing I stress the most is like if you if you can breathe like that's half the battle so you're actually a better singer oh, after f- this experience for like a, a thousand percent now how many episodes of the voice were you on before you got to the song battle so I was on two episodes um, technically I think I was on three or four because they used me in different behind the scenes moments uh, when they were introducing the the new coaches or talking about just different uh, things behind the scenes. And so I think I was on three or four episodes um, before the battle happened. And as far as weeks out there, I probably was out there eight weeks in total throughout the whole uh, filming process. Now, for those who don't know the show rules, the the song battle, two people from the same team yes, come out to sing a duet. And the whole idea here is that the the music star is winnowing down his or her team. Correct, yeah. So somebody is going to go Correct. unless somebody else steals that person. Correct. So you're singing this duet together. Who, yeah. Who chose the song? So Blake chooses the songs. And I remember when I got my song that I was performing, I was like, crap. <laughs> Randy Travis country music yeah. for you? And, okay. And I, I was, you know... There, there was like a good because you have about three weeks when they give you that song uh, to be able to work it out with your partner and, and to um, really just get the arrangement down because they let you choose all that. They let you choose the arrangement, what parts you're going to be singing, what key you're going to be singing it in. So I met with uh, Grace, who was my partner early on to try to figure this stuff out because I was like, I need to start right now because I'm I feel like I'm behind the eight ball because of all the styles of music that I'm familiar with country music is definitely the least especially stylistically when it comes to my vocals I feel like especially Randy Travis has such a deep baritone bass voice and I definitely have like a high tenor voice and I remember feeling like I'm gonna have to really sing this up the octave I can't sing down where he is because I can't reach the notes and it, it was it was definitely like some of the most stress I've ever had in my life again <laughs> that song it is beautiful though <laughs> thank so you let's just listen and hear a little bit yes, about what please. happened Suppose I called you up tonight and told you that I love you. And suppose I said I want to come back home. And suppose I cried and said I think I finally learned my lesson. And I'm tired of spending all my time alone. That was magic. Carlos, your tone is really so cool, so husky. And to hear that blend against Grace's sweet, piercing tone was was really nice. 
I really like your tone, Carlos. I think that you have a very unique voice. But I think that it's equally matched. I couldn't even tell you which way to lean, Blakey boy. Carlos, your voice could sing many different genres. I think you're that guy that could literally tackle a rock song, a singer-songwriter song, a country song, a pop song. I think you're one of those voices that can carry through any genre. That's an incredible gift. So, I don't know. I think I'm leaning towards Grace just because I love that sound. It's beautiful. I don't know. Carlos is extremely exciting to work with, too, because he can do anything. Yeah, I'm not hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> Carlos, it was cool to hear people talk about you can kind of do a little bit of anything you want to do, you know? I mean, you auditioned with Eric Clapton, and now you're doing Randy Travis, and you sound incredible on both of them. That's Carlos rising from the song battle, NBC's The Voice. That was the moment that your time on the show ended, and, and you graciously thanked everybody and expressed deep gratitude for the opportunity, but any human at that point, any human being, no matter how well adjusted, is going to be trying to manage probably a, a gut punch in yeah. that moment. How, can you tell us what that felt like? I would love to tell you what I felt. Um, it, was, it was a two-sided thing that I felt simultaneously because I had spent weeks working on the song. And when we did it then, I felt like for the first time I actually performed it well. Um, I was struggling. I was just in my head the entire time I was rehearsing the song, thinking, you know, a lot of negative aspects about how I don't feel like this is my style. I don't feel like this is like a song that I can do well by. Like there's tons of country music fans in the world and they're probably going to hate me because because <laughs> I'm singing this song. And so I'm just really in my head about it. But um, there was a moment when I was on that stage and hearing their feedback, which I appreciate. And the, the cool thing is, is that they actually took a little bit more time than what they showed on television um, to just kind of talk to me and tell me, you know, what their thoughts were about the song and how I did. And um, it was all really great, um, constructive things. And um, I, I just remember being very grateful in the moment. And I kind of had a feeling because Grace sounded amazing. And, she, you know, she's a, a country. That's her genre, that's right? Her, yeah, that's so. her genre. She, you know. Feel, feels really comfortable with that song and she knew that song from a very early age kind of like how I did with Change the World and I, ju I just kind of knew that I was like okay this is like perfect for her and I was okay with that I really was because I got to know Grace she's an incredible uh, young woman who uh, is extremely talented I'm so happy for her and she ended up placing second on the show and um, I just remember in that moment that I was disappointed to leave because I wanted to stay to learn as much as I could and to also perform some other songs that I feel like I didn't get the chance to perform or do styles that I feel like are in my wheelhouse that I didn't get to showcase. But there's a moment where you walk off and you go backstage. And the first thing I did was call my wife and tell her I'm coming home. And I was so happy because at that point, you know, I've had to spend weeks away from her. And, you know, we FaceTime every day and that kind of thing. But ultimately, if you don't have your plus one with you, you kind of feel like a part of you is left out. And I... It, where there was disappointment, there was an equal amount of excitement, too, for the future. Because I knew in my heart, I said, this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. For one, I, from now on, get to choose what my music sounds like. And I don't, I, I'm not going to let a genre dictate 
what that's going to or anybody else for that matter. When we first talked, one of the things that really impressed me about the way you interpreted how this went is you said there were other people, other friends that you'd made, other contestants on the Mm -hmm. show who interpreted their moment of being off the show as as some sort of negative moment in their life. Like this is, they weren't good enough. They weren't good enough to win the whole show. Mm -hmm. You saw it as an affirmation of your talent, the whole thing. And I just find that... um, incredible. And you've used it, it sounds like energetically, both internally and externally as a springboard. So why do you think you were able to say, this is an affirmation of me and what I can offer instead of the place that other people went? Yeah, I think because I didn't feel qualified in the first place to be there. And to hear people who don't have to lie to me, they can tell me the truth. They don't have to turn their chair around decided to instill in me a confidence that I didn't believe was there before. And that specific performance, you heard Kelly Clarkson say she feels like I can sing anything. And I was, I was she like... She wasn't the only one who said yeah. that. And, and Blake you know, kind of said that. Niall said that. Earlier in my previous performance, Chance said I sound good in R&B. And so in that moment where I felt like, you know, and I kind of touched on this before, where I grew up listening to all sorts of different music. And I feel like one of the things I really struggled with was trying to nail down what genre I am as an artist and as a songwriter because I love so many different types of music and I truly feel they are authentic extensions of my artistry, whether I'm you know, performing soul R&B, if it's more like standard rock or Motown or anything like that. And it was in that moment that when she said that, I said, wait, this is actually such an amazing tool that a lot of people don't have. And how much fun am I going to be able to have for the rest of my life doing whatever genre of music I want to do and get to call my own shots and say, you know what, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And to feel equipped and also to feel um, verified by these superstars. And, and I mean, just look at Kelly Clarkson. She can sing anything, truly. She is one of the most amazing musical talents of all time. For her to say that to me, put everything into perspective. And you touched on some other voice contestants. You know, some of them are back doing what they were doing before with their dreams crushed and feeling like there's no – like this was it. This is their biggest opportunity. Yeah. But I took it as, okay, this is just the beginning. And the day that we are recording this episode of Coastline is the same day that your new EP drops. Yes. It is out. Tell us the name. So it's called It's Just a Phase. And when we come back from this break, we're going to hear some of the cuts from that EP and learn a little bit more about how you produced it and where you're headed. You're listening to Coastline. We'll be back with singer-songwriter Carlos Rising after this short break. Stay with us. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline.
listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. When Carlos Rising finally caved to pressure from his family to audition for The Voice, a singing competition on NBC, he worried about what he considered his weaknesses. He was a songwriter and musician first, not a vocalist. He was also such a blend of influences that he couldn't identify a musical genre for himself. But he won a spot on the show and on Blake Shelton's last team in 2023. And since then, he's charging ahead with an altered view of his gifts and what he needs to do to live his life as a full-time musician. Now, just before we went to break, you told us the title of your new EP. Tell us again. So it's called It's Just a Phase. And for those who aren't familiar with EP, what does that mean? So I found this out because I also have the same question. I always heard the term EP, but never understood what it meant. So it stands for extended play, uh, which is in contrast to an LP, which I think stands for just long play. Um, I, at least that's what Google told me. Ken Campbell gave us a thumbs yeah. up for that, so that means you're <laughs> okay, right. Okay, <laughs> great. So essentially an EP is anything under 25 minutes, and usually it's more of a collection of songs rather than a uh, form contextual idea. Usually albums have a, a concept and usually a very um, consistent uh, aesthetic that they're going for sonically. Um, EPs usually are just a collection of here's five, six songs uh, from this artist that you may like, um, and it's kind of like a, a nice little window into who he is as an artist. But I knew that I kind of didn't want to just do that. I knew that I wanted it to, to be a concept as well, even though it's going to be more of a short-run project. Um, I knew that I wanted to really just nail this on different levels creatively. And so it, the, the theme... The title yes. of the EP is yeah. the theme of the whole thing. Correct. And it's a little layered. And if you will, I'll go through those layers um, very briefly. Yeah. The first layer of It's Just a Phase is just talking about seasons in life. Um, and all the songs have to do with either heartbreak or love. Um, and I believe that's something that we all have been through, are going through, will go through. And it's not necessarily... A, uh, a straight line where there's a beginning point and an end point. It's a, a figure eight where we weave in and out of these different seasons. Um, sometimes it's romantic heartbreak. Sometimes it's just relational. Uh, sometimes it's the love for your significant other or a love uh, for a dear friend. And um, I believe that we're all constantly moving in and out of those phases. So whatever your f- phase that you're currently in, when you listen to this, will give you a completely different perspective than somebody else in a different phase. So then Simply in Love, which is, yeah. uh, we'll listen to a sample of that in just a second, but tell us, what what is that about and how did this come to be? This yeah, song? Um, I wrote all of these songs in L.A. in my hotel room. We had tons of downtime. I was going crazy playing the same song over and over again. So I wanted to take advantage of the seclusion and the time away for me to be able to perhaps release something one day. And uh, when I knew I was going to release an EP, I wrote this song pretty quickly. It was about 15 minutes that I wrote this song. And usually I don't really have like a formula or like a, you know, a general time allotment that I write songs. Sometimes it's like write a line here and there, put it away for a couple months, take it back out. Uh, But this one happened to happen all at one time. And uh, my wife uh, constantly asks me, um, because she's so lovely and wonderful and so smart. She says, do you still love me after, you know, five years? You know, usually it's more of a playful thing. 
And sometimes we ask our significant others, would you love me if I was a coconut or a a worm in the dirt? Like, would you still love me? Would you still be married to me? And of course, the answer is always yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to write a song that um, would would answer that question for the rest of her life. Meaning she doesn't have to worry or wonder wherever I am in life, whether I'm away for weeks on end doing music away from her. Um, or I'm right by her side, the message is still going to be the same of what my heart speaks, and it's going to be that I'm just in love with you always and forever, which is such a sweet thing for somebody to say to, <laughs> to the significant other. So let's let's listen to the answer then. I'm simply in love. Simply in Love by Carlos Rising. Your your journey is also about the commercial side of things. And this is this was something that you describe as kind of eye-opening from your time on The Voice, Carlos. Mm-hmm. You you've said that there's the the musical content that you have to create and that's the artist but you also have to be a business person yeah what are some of the things that you learned about what it means to be a business person yeah um don't be afraid to ask for help um a lot of people think that they have to lone wolf it out there to make a name for themselves and some of that's true you have to do a lot of stuff yourself uh for me i have to i'm emailing all these venues myself. I don't have any management. I'm fully independent. Um, I'm the one who has to do graphic design and t-shirt design and social media stuff. Um, But I would not have been able to do it at the quality I've done these things without the help of some very near and dear friends of mine, uh, local to Wilmington and also scattered across the world, um, who came beside me because I asked for help. Um, Some of them offered freely without having me to ask. And other times I had to not necessarily pitch myself, but just give the vision and explain why I need this help. And everybody who came alongside of me is super important to my story, Uh, not just musically, but like you said, on the business side of things. And I and I feel like without these people, without certain people in your life, you are just limited Um, because we all have our weaknesses. We all have our constraints. Uh, but my weakness is, is somebody else's passion and something that they're really good at. And um, I, I would say that. And another thing is just don't stop being hungry. I believe if you don't give up, you'll eventually reach your dreams. And maybe now, it may be later. Most likely, it may be later. Um, but don't give up. And I think it, as long as you have surround yourself with people who believe in you and will help you no matter what, and you don't give up, um, I believe, like, I, I don't have any, like, business um, strategy or tell you, you got to post three times a day. You got to have your mailing list. You gotta, I'm, I'm sure that there's that stuff to it, too. But for me, it's purely relationally and a mindset thing of what I believe it takes to be a successful business musician. Now, on we have a cut called Blame. Yeah. 
What when we listen to this, what will we hear that is a result of you asking for help from people? What do we hear on this? Yeah, you hear a culmination of. Um, well, let me say this: I when I was on the show, um, I reconnected with an old college buddy of mine whose wife happened to be on the the same season I was on, and I, we didn't realize it until we got there because you know you're all hush hush. You're not supposed to tell anybody that you're there, and so when I found out his wife was there, I reached out to him. Who he's a uh, mixer and a studio engineer in Nashville. And uh, I reached out to him. I said, hey, would you be able to work with me on this project that I'm doing? And he was like, yeah, I would love to. And so tirelessly, he helped me cut me deals, uh, did me favors that he didn't need to extend. Uh, He mixed the song. He also played keys on it. He's a beautiful uh, piano player. I also had his wife sing backup uh, on this, and she made it as far as on the show as I did. So we have like a kind of similar experience. Uh, we both got selected for a team, both got two chair turns, uh, both went out in the same round. And I thought, you know, to start off the, because the project starts off with the song, to start it off with just kind of this underlying um, cool little moment that this is a culmination of how the thing started and the relationships I made along the way. And I wanted to make sure I highlighted those uh, in this song. And I, this, I think this is my favorite track on the record. Okay, let's listen. Never felt like this before, but I'm just as sure. As the time when I first saw you, I knew the truth. I had to have you then, and maybe still now. But we can't move on even if we knew how. I blame you. I blame you. The song Blame from the EP It's Just a Phase by Carlos Rising. You're very open about your church attendance. Does What does your Christian faith, after having a dad who was a pastor and growing up in the yeah. church, what does that mean to you? I am so very lucky that I had an amazing experience. Um, and I realized that a lot of people in the same shoes I was in did not. And I think it just goes to um, show that the amazing man my father was, and he always put his family before his job. His life was putting his faith at the center, but he didn't put his job in front of his family. And so I was able to see an accurate representation of what I believe it means to be a Christian and to show people love and to love Jesus, all while also supporting and putting your family first. And that stuck with me, and um, I. Uh, it, it's one of those things. Now that I'm an adult, I'm about to have. A, I'm about to become a father for the first time. Congratulations! Thank you. May first um, is when my daughter will be born, and um, her name is Luna. That's another layer to the. It's just a phase because I was thinking of phases of the moon and stuff like that. And Luna obviously is Spanish for for moon, and. Um, I knew that when I came upon this phase of life that I wanted to be the same way that my father was to me, Um, to have my faith be the center of my life and to put my family first. And at the end of the day, I'm not a pastor, um, but I I do believe I carry the same qualities as far as uh, being a light in the darkness to people 
and to showing people love and to feed the hungry, clothe the poor. And um, it, it's just one of those things where the faith will stick with me forever. And you can't change it about me. Um, but I also uh, am proud of it. And I'm also uh, really grateful for my upbringing. We, we just have a few minutes left. So let's listen to one more cut from okay, this EP. Blue for you. What do you want to say about that before we hear it? Um, really quickly, I had this idea of back in uh, the 70s, my mother was raised in Brooklyn and her brother for her birthday went down to the record store and got a 45 single of Hollow Notes, Sarah Smile. My mother's name is Sarah and he gave it to her for her birthday. And I thought if that were to happen nowadays, what would that look like? And the idea of going down to a record store, picking out a song for someone you love desperately and giving it to them and saying, this is what I feel about you, regardless of whether you feel the same or not. And that's kind of the theme of Blue for you, that even if you reject me, I, I will be sad, not because you reject me, but I'm, I'll be sad because I love you. And uh, also stylistically, I wanted it to feel like it was coming off of vinyl itself. So it a, has a little bit of a vintage mix to it. It's got a little more of a more Motown 6-8 ballad sort of deal. And I feel like uh, me and Dimitri, who helped me produce this project, we nailed it. Along with uh, my cousin Christian, who lives here in town, um, he also uh, produced this song. And uh, I, th I think we killed it. So this is a uh, blue for you. Carlos Rising. From the new EP, It's Just a Phase by Carlos Rising. Tell us a little bit about you. Early in this episode, you talked about how you've come back from The Voice. You've played locally around Wilmington. You've had shows that are sold out. Mm -hmm. You've wound up on stage in front of five people. Performers around Wilmington know that's just that's how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you doing now? And yeah, tell us. Yeah, so um, I'm very fortunate enough, and it took a it took months of planning, but I knew when this project was going to come out, and I knew that I wanted to do a tour around it, and so uh, I'm excited to announce that I am going on tour uh, in 2024. I'll be going uh, through Wilmington, Jacksonville, uh, Savannah, Charleston, Raleigh, and uh, I was able to set up all of these from what I said earlier. People coming around me and. Me asking for help, but also them extending uh, very gracious favors to me. And I'm really excited about doing this. They're all ticketed events. And um, it's the first time I've ever done a proper tour like this. And I'm doing it solo. I'm not bringing a band with me uh, for a good bit of it. The Wilmington stuff, I'll be playing full band uh, and the what's Raleigh the, one. What's the name of the band locally? <laughs> yeah, so I have a uh, – I also on the side have a rock and soul band called uh, Holy Heat. And uh, we we do uh, more soul uh, inflected rock music, and um, we we have a great time. We play in town all the time, and we do shows in Raleigh and uh, in surrounding cities, and it, it's just tons of fun. 
So this tour, though, is going to be you solo with a guitar? Me solo with a guitar, going into rooms, people buying tickets and, and showing up. And uh, for, the, for the last leg, the last two uh, nights of the tour, uh, I'll be partnering with Holy Heat. We'll be in uh, Wilmington, we'll be in Raleigh, and it's just going to be a great time. Nice. And of course, we're going to put those dates on our website. We'll have all the links. So if people want to find out when and how to get tickets, it'll be there. That is this edition of Coastline. Carlos Rising, what a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a joy, and I'm so grateful for uh, the studio, and I hope you guys enjoyed the, the album. Coastline's technical director is Ken Campbell. Coastline is a production of WHQR Public Media. Find the episode along with show notes and links at whqr.org or wherever you get podcasts. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline. Coastline.